It's Friday, July 17th, 2020, and for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. We all try our best, but no matter how conscientious you are about your energy use and your resource consumption, whatever your intentions, you still leave a carbon footprint. As long as you have a metabolism, you're off-gassing something. Whether you're a business or an individual, it's just not possible, at least not in the world we currently live in, to totally eliminate your contribution to climate change. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Carbon offsets are a way to partially compensate for negative climate impacts by investing in projects that create an equivalent impact in the opposite direction. This is the basis for PEC's sustainability partnership with the organizers of the Gap Relay Race along the Great Allegheny Passage in southwestern Pennsylvania. If you listen to the show on the regular, you have heard us talk about it before. Last year, PEC helped make the Gap Relay the first event of its kind in the U.S. to offset both climate and watershed impacts. Well, as it turns out, purchasing offsets is simpler and less expensive than you might think. But as our friends at the Oregon-based Bonneville Environmental Foundation will tell you, that only works when it's part of a comprehensive, across-the-board sustainability effort. We don't want people to buy their way out of environmental debt by purchasing carbon offsets. Offsets are really the tool for that, what we call the unavoidable footprint that's left at the end of all the other things you can do to reduce your footprint as much as you can. On this episode, we'll look at what offsets can and can't do, and how a model originally created with businesses and large organizations in mind can also help regular people pursue sustainability on a household scale. That's coming up. But first, let's hear more about this year's Gap Relay and PEC's partnership now in its second year with the Pittsburgh Three Rivers Marathon, also known as P3R. That's the organization that hosts the race. Well, as with most events in these socially distanced times, organizers had to make a difficult call earlier this year, whether to hold the race as planned, cancel outright, or switch to a virtual format. Well, to our satisfaction at PEC, P3R opted for the latter and moved quickly to completely overhaul the event. Instead of gathering hundreds of runners on the actual Great Allegheny Passage all at once, teams were instead given the option to run an equivalent distance at the time and place of runners' own choosing. The mileage for each virtual leg of the relay corresponds to the distance between already plotted exchange zones on the actual route. Runners then track their own time posted to a website that calculates results for each team in real time. So it's different, but in addition to making the relay safer, this approach also has the added benefit of reducing its overall carbon footprint. Even though the offsets we purchased were based on estimates of what the impact would be if the event were being held in person. So even better in some ways. Troy Schooley is the CEO of P3R and, as of this episode, a two-time guest on Pennsylvania Legacies. Troy, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me on, Josh. Tell me about how COVID-19 has impacted P3R and the running community generally. When did you decide to make your events virtual? What went into that decision? And then how did you actually go about it? How do you make that transition? Yeah, yeah, it is really... uh turn the endurance space upside down, really. If you, if you look at the majority of the endurance space events 
are in the spring or the summer. You know, with, with the marathon, we decided we were about eight and a half weeks out from our largest event, which is the Pittsburgh Marathon, about 40,000 people. So mid-March, we made that decision that it just wasn't going to be safe um, as we got closer, as well as, you know, working with the city officials, the, the, you know, the state officials and the CDC. We, we held out as long as we could with the UPMC Health Plan Gap Relay. Uh, we made that decision, you know, once again, probably uh, seven to eight weeks out from the event, just realizing that it wasn't safe for our runners and it wasn't going to be safe that third week of June as much as we would have loved to do it. It just, you know, we continue to monitor um, the situation and, you know, we have a couple fall events coming up that, you know, our EQT 10 miler we've opened up as a live event, but, you know, things continue to change and we continue to monitor it and, and, you know, safety is always going to be the number one priority. And if, if it's 98% safe, that's not safe enough for us at this yeah. point. So we'll just continue to monitor and hopefully, you know, I, I know people are excited to get back to a start line. You know, we, we, we took record registrations when we opened our 10 miler up, um, even with the gap relay, you know, even though we announced it as virtual, we've had so many people say we can't wait to get to the start line next year. So while it's tough for the industry right now, um, you know, PTR has great partners, so we're, we're able to survive through this. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We know that when we get back to a start line, a live start line, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, pent-up excitement, and we're excited to see the runners as well. I got to say, it was amazing how quickly and effectively you guys responded to this situation. Like our In my shop the last couple of months, a huge amount of energy has gone into figuring out what we do with the in-person events that we already have planned. You guys, like that's pretty much all you do. Oh, well, we do, right? Well, times, all right? of our events are in person, right? So, you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of discussion, there was a lot of crisis communication planning well before we made the announcement for the marathon just to prepare for this. And I think the team's done a great job as far as preparing the the proper messaging as well as the operations team, you know, working with people around the country to see what when we do come back, what safety measures are going to have to be taken? I mean, they're in, they're in daily contact with groups around the country that we work with. Um, so yeah, that, that's our thing, you know, is, is live events. So when all those go away, um, you know, you have to pivot fast, but you also need to sustain the organization, which we've done a good job of, of driving these virtual events. Taking it a step further, something like the gap relay is already, you know, under normal conditions is already pretty complicated logistically. Making this into a virtual event seems to me like it must be just an order of magnitude more complicated. What does it mean for specifically for a relay race with all its moving parts to go virtual? How does this event work? And did you have any sort of models to work from out there in the industry or did you guys have to just sort of figure this out as you went? Yeah, so that's that's the interesting part about a relay event. There was really no um, there was no blueprint to turning a, a 150 mile relay virtual. The one thing that we knew that we needed to do though is make it unique and still be able to give them that experience, right? So, one thing that we needed to do is make sure that we showcased the Gap Trail. Um, it, it's a it's a hidden gem for people that haven't been there. And one thing we wanted to do is make sure we focused that. So we started working with the operations team. They got out there with a the GoPro. Um, they started editing film for you know all the relay stops. So right now you can go online if you're a part of a team and check out you know all 24 relays and you can run with us virtually that way. So that was one unique thing that we did that the ops team did a great job of really turning that around. Another thing's the messaging, right? So we had to talk to the people. We had to be able to you know, not only share pictures, but share content with them and tell them to share it with us. So when they completed a leg, 
we would be the first to respond like great job keep it up and we saw that you know throughout the first first week of the gap trail but we continue to see you know teams finishing their legs and, and entering um entering their those times on the legs so we've made you know we've made it very uh, user friendly, runner friendly, uh, but it was like a, you know, like I said, there was no blueprint to this, but we knew we needed to make it unique, and I think the team's done a great job with that. So, as far as the actual mechanics of the of the race go, so normally you would, you know, a relay is fairly self explanatory, I, I would hope, but um, in in this instance, we're talking about any location you want to run it in, right, in any order, pretty much. Right. Yeah. This way it's you know you can do it in your local park, you can do it on your treadmill at home if you're not comfortable. I think the great part, Josh, is we've seen a lot of teams out there on the Great Allegheny Passage. We've seen a lot of teams completing their legs on random parts of the trail, which is which is great. I, I remember the first day that we um, actually opened up the, the event, which was June 19th, we had a team in Cumberland, Maryland, sending us pictures from the start line. So that's exciting that they, they got out there to really experience uh, the trail, hopefully doing it safely, obviously. But um, you know, we can't wait to get them back next year. And, and really, you know, the people that ran virtually, a lot of them have never participated in the event live. So we hope that, you know, by engaging with them and showcasing the trail and talking about all the little gray towns along the trail, they're going to be more inclined to want to come to the start line and say, oh, I remember running this virtually. This is even more beautiful than I thought it was going to be. So there, there's a lot of excitement this year. You know, we have 131 teams competing. Uh, thanks to UPMC Health Plan, we were able to give the first 100 teams um, a free registration, which is, uh, which is great for the event, but it's also great for the Great Allegheny Passage. Um, and another thing that we saw this year, we have somebody from London participating. We have somebody from Berlin, Germany participating, Anchorage, Alaska, uh, we have people from all over the globe that normally probably wouldn't be able to participate if it was just a 24 hour event, you know, due to schedules, but, you know, hopefully we get some of those people in town next year, Seattle, Washington, the whole West coast is pretty much covered with people that are participating. So hopefully they come in and get to experience the gap, uh, trail live next year. That is really one of the kind of lemonade out of lemons aspects of this. Like Peck has, you know, I think last year we had two teams. This year we're up to three because we were able to bring in people from our offices all over the state, people who normally would not get a chance or for, you know, it would be very, you know, very different. It would be harder for them to participate. But this year all our Philly folks are participating. Yeah, that's the great thing about yeah. virtual events, right? You can you can do it from around the globe. And like I said, whether it's on your treadmill at your house in Berlin, Germany, or it's actually along the Gap Trail. It opens up a lot of opportunities to showcase the event, showcase our organization, showcase our sponsors like Peck. So uh, it, it's been great. You know, we're a couple weeks in right now. So it, it's been great thus far following the runners uh, really from around the globe. As you alluded to, this is the second year now of the uh, sustainability partnership that Peck has with P3R for this event. We didn't really get a chance to do a sort of postmortem of last year's event, but what did you take away from the 2019 relay and specifically the sustainability aspect of it? Why was it important to you, to P3R, to maintain this commitment to sustainability despite this very different new format? Sure. Yeah. The, the, the partnership that we formed last year with Peck, and really it started the first year. We, we talked to you guys the first year you guys participated in the event. Last year, we you know, evolved the partnership and sustainability was a, is a big deal for our organization, obviously a big deal for Peck and the trail. So being able to, you know, I, I still remember handing out saplings at the finish line last year. And it was something 
it, it was something unique that we're not used to with a partnership, but it was something that resonated with the runners. It also resonated with the endurance space around the country. We were one of the first events to really have a complete offset by carbon in the country. So being able to lead and be a leader in carbon offsets and sustainability was really important for us in, in the reach out that we had from not just our runners, but from other organizations around the country asking to talk a little bit more about what we did with the carbon offsets, what we did with the saplings, um, how we made this you know, event more sustainable because of you know, Peck uh, was super important. So uh, you know, we, we, I think, instantly became the leader in sustainability and really in a space that um, you know, didn't exist. <laughs> no, it didn't, it didn't exist. And it's, it's always been a focus. But if you think about of our events, you know, you have, you have water bottles, you have all these things, you have people driving to the events, you, you have a lot of the times 26 miles of course, 13 miles of course, in the gap relay, you have 150 miles of course. And it was something that we knew was important in our industry, but really we took the first step last year with Peck and it was, it, it was great. All right. Well, let's drill down on that a little bit and talk about, you know, you mentioned the offsets. That kind of, that's kind of the centerpiece of this partnership. And you also just mentioned some of the ways in which an endurance event impacts the environment, impacts energy use, resource consumption. How is it different this year as a virtual event? Do you have a sense of how that uh, consumption pattern and environmental impact may be different this year? Sure. I, you know, if anything, it's had more of a more of an impact you know we we've had more teams so you know peck with our partnership has purchased over equivalent of 900 people participating in the event where last year i think was 450 500 so we've you know with the great partnership we have with you guys we've been able to double those you know those offset purchases which is equivalent of fueling 98 vehicles you know it's it's amazing stats uh powering 77 homes for one year or burning more than 1,000 barrels of oil. So what we've done this year is actually increased, even though, even though it's a virtual event, we've increased purchasing those carbon offsets and making the event even more sustainable being virtual, which, which is amazing if you think about it. It, it. We got a good trajectory with the partnership and uh, you know, we got a good trajectory of continue to make a difference as far as sustainability goes. Um, not just with the trail, but with our region, uh, and frankly, in this case, around the globe. Yeah, I wanted to ask you more about uh, what what else beyond the gap relay is P3R doing to promote sustainability and running. What can runners do to make their their training, their competing, and their all their activities year round more sustainable? Right, and, and you know that was a big focus. You know, pre COVID, we were looking, you know, what we could do with the marathon, whether it was purchasing the carbon offsets, um, eliminating a lot of the plastic, el eliminating a lot of the, the things along the course um, that aren't really friendly. You know, we do a great job. Uh, you know, we're, we're 94, 95% with the marathon. We'd like to be at like 96, 97. You know, as far as a runner goes, you know, you're seeing a lot of those water bottles that you can carry and, and you can kind of fill up your water along the course. That's going to be a big deal for us kind of educating runners to be able to carry their own little running pocket and we'll have you know 
more, more uh, we call them water monsters, but on the course that they can fill up themselves mm. instead of handing them um, a water bottle. Uh, you know, another thing that we look at, we have so many vendors that are using, you know, so much fuel and, and dropping off equipment here and there. It's, it's being smarter about not just the vendors that we use, but, you know, the, the techniques that we use, the routes that we use, you know, being able to cut back on a lot of those, those routes that we use for our vendors, you know, throughout a lot of our events is a big deal. So there's so many things that we continue to kind of evolve with the sustainability space, you know, shirts and metals. Um, how can we make those more sustainable? Um, you know, we order, you know, 80,000 shirts a year, you know, what can we do to make that more sustainable throughout the year? Uh, whether it's recycled, you know, you see recycled shirts now, you know, you see, um, you know, twice over shirts. So th there's a lot of things that we continue to look at um, as far as being more sustainable as an organization. And, and, you know, that trickles down to all of our events, not just, not just the gap relay, but really all P3 events. So, I mean, obviously the focal point for the gap relay is the great Allegheny passage. That's something that figures in a lot in what Peck does. You know, I can tell you that this spring and summer, as the world kind of turned upside down, we have been paying close attention to how people are using trails and greenways and, you know, public uh, green space. And certainly, like anecdotally, people have noted there's a lot of trail use going on. We actually put out a report a couple of weeks ago that quantified it in Pennsylvania and found, indeed, uh, trail use is way up. And it's pretty much across the state. It's in large communities, small communities, everything in between. So I guess I'm wondering, like, from your vantage point in the in the running world, are you seeing more interest lately in trail running generally in Pennsylvania specifically? And then, you know, how has this situation changed the way you think about or relate to trails as a runner? Well, first off, that's a great question. Second off, I'm glad to hear that you guys did a report on that. I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't thinking I was crazy seeing more runners all all across Western PA over over the last yeah. couple of months. Um, but, you know, I've talked about it a lot is that I think we're going to see, you know, a third running boom. There's been a couple running booms over the last 15 years. I think we're going to see one in the next six to eight, you know, 12 months whenever this clears up, because I'm seeing people out there on the trails that I've never seen before. And it's been a good escape for people. They haven't been able to go to the gyms. They haven't been able to participate in, in, in sporting events or, or go to their, their kids use sports. So what you see is a lot of people that have never really ran putting on the shoes, getting out, getting some fresh air, and maybe that walk turns into a jog and maybe that jog turns into a run. And that's important to us. We don't, we don't really care about the time. We just want people to be active and enjoy, you know, what really Western PA, Southwestern PA has to offer as far as our trail system, our local parks. Um, so it, it's, it's been super encouraging, um, not only seeing the people out there, but seeing the new people, you know, interacting with us via social media talking about they completed their first 5k virtually. They probably never would have done that if we wouldn't, you know, have had to go through what we're going through currently. So I, you know, I, I, like I said, I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. I think I'm so excited to continue to be in this space. And, and I think, you know, what we saw when, like I said, when we opened up our 10 miler is that people are super excited to get back to the start line. And I think a lot of those people are going to be new people. So, uh, you know, running is, is super accessible. Tra being on a trail is super accessible. You just need a pair of shoes. Uh, so, so we're excited to invite everybody back, uh, to our, you know, our events, um, not just virtually, but hopefully live soon. Before Peck ever got involved in this, this event started as a partnership between you guys and the Allegheny Trail Alliance, which is the organization that that represents the Great Allegheny Passage, right? That Peck yep. does a lot of work with too. I'm wondering, like, how that relationship fit in with P3R's sustainability goals and how that's evolved over the last couple of years. 
Yeah, the ATA has been a great partner uh, with this event. They are, you know, the, they're the charity of record for this event. So the proceeds go to the ATA to continue to fund, um, you know, trail usage, uh, trail cleanups, maintaining the the beauty of the, of the Great Allegheny Passage. And, it, you know, it fit into our mission uh, really three, fourfold if you look at it. First off, we want people to be, to be able to move. We want them just to get out there. So what a great resource is Great Allegheny Passage is. Second off, we want to be inclusive. So, you know, whether, like I said, whether you're walking, jogging, or running, we want everybody to be able to participate. And that's what the Great Allegheny Passage does. It's not just for runners. There's cyclists out there. There's walkers. Everybody can enjoy the Great Allegheny Passage. And also, you know, we, we have a big charity platform. And to be able to give back to the ATA, which is, like I said, been such a great partner, which does such great work in, you know, Southwestern PA, as well as Maryland for the Great Allegheny Passage, it was really a no-brainer. Now, leading up to it, you know, taking on the task of opening up a 150 mile relay was a little daunting to us as a staff at first logistically. But once we got through that and, and, and kind of eased into it and, and got through year one, uh, it's an event that our staff, you know, we do 13, you know, pretty big events throughout the year. It's an event that our staff was very disappointed this year, went to virtual. And I know they're super excited to get back next year because we have such a great time along the trail with the runners, uh, with the drivers of the vehicles. Like it's just, a, it's a great bonding experience with our partners, with you, Josh, and and with everybody at PEC that competes. Uh, it's just been great seeing those runners engaged out there on the Great Allegheny Passage. So we're, we're excited to get back in 21 for sure. We are also very excited, but I got to say, this is fun too. We're, we're enjoying this experience and I really appreciate that you guys, uh, you know, made this opportunity available again, despite all the challenges all of us are dealing with. Well, you know, thank you for the continued partnership. I, you know, I've seen you guys starting to add in some of your times. I think one of your teams have already completed the whole relay only, you know, a couple weeks in. So you guys are ahead of the pack there. So it's great to see a partner really involved in the event. That's what we look for. We don't look for sponsors. We look for partners of event that's going to work side by side and, and PC has done a great job with that. Troy Schooley, CEO of Pittsburgh Three Rivers Marathon or P3R. Thanks so much for being on Pennsylvania Legacies again. Thanks for having me, Josh. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, Peck is sustainability partner in this year's Gap Relay. That means we're responsible for calculating the event's carbon footprint and providing an equivalent amount of offsets. But at Peck, we're not actually in the offsets business. To facilitate this transaction, we reached out to another nonprofit that specializes in matching funders with projects and ensuring the customers getting what they paid for. That organization is the Bonneville Environmental Foundation. Heather Schrock is its Director of Environmental Partnerships, and she's our second guest on this doubleheader episode of the Peck Podcast. Heather, thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks so much, Josh. I'm really excited to chat with you today. For starters, tell me a little bit about Bonneville Environmental Foundation, the work you do, who you work with, and uh, and anything else that we should know. Sure. So Bonneville Environmental Foundation is a Portland-based environmental nonprofit. We've been around for about 22 years. Our work is national in scope, though. We have kind of like four buckets that our work kind of falls into. One bucket is water, water restoration. 
Another bucket is renewable energy. And then we have a STEM education program. That's the third bucket. And then the fourth program is kind of a little more where we're going to be focusing today. And that's our work with businesses and organizations on their environmental footprint, which includes working with them on helping them calculate their footprint, helping them understand their options for reducing, and then hopefully offsetting their footprint. And that can be um, carbon, water, and energy footprinting. So you said Bonneville's been around for a couple decades. Carbon offsets are, are not a new idea. Uh, these have been around for a while. But in case anybody's listening who uh, is a little bit hazy on how this works, how do offsets work? Yeah, offsets are a really valuable tool in the fight against climate change and in bringing our greenhouse gases down. Uh, they're not the only tool, but they are one tool and they are a market-based tool. So they were created to help bring money to projects that reduce, sequester, or avoid emissions from the atmosphere. And I can go a little deeper into the mechanism of how they work if you'd like. One of the things to keep in mind is that at the end of the day, what a carbon offset is, is it's really a financial mechanism. So yes, you get a certificate. Yes, there is an actual project happening somewhere. But what that offset is, is the financial mechanism that connects the person or the entity, the business, that has a footprint that they can't avoid to a project that will bring down carbon in the atmosphere. So it's really a transaction and there's a lot that goes into that transaction. There's verifications and methodologies and a lot of science. A lot of people a lot smarter than me figure this stuff out. <laughs> but for the most part, it is that transactional piece that um, allows like a large corporation to help continue to bring their footprint down once they've done as much as they can in efficiencies and conservation and reducing their footprint through other methods. So you go through all of the research, you run some numbers, you do some calculations. What do you end up with? What is the actual dollar cost if you can quantify somebody's impact? What, you know, what does that come down to in dollars and cents? So the average offset, if you get the full menu to choose from, is going to be between about $4 and $15 per offset. And one offset is equal to one metric ton of carbon. So once you figure out what your carbon footprint is, you're likely going to get it in metric tons. Unless it's very small, you might get it in pounds. And just for anyone out there who doesn't do conversions in their head, a metric ton is 2,206 pounds, 0.422 and then a lot of other numbers after that. But that's basically, it's about 2,200 pounds. So if you come up with your footprint at the end of all of that, you get it in metric tons. Let's say your footprint is five metric tons of uh, greenhouse gases. So then if you go on our website, you can buy an offset for 10 bucks. So 50 bucks. If you're a business and your footprint is much bigger than that, you can choose from our menu and it's going to range between $4 and $15, depending on the ones that you choose. And then obviously multiply that times the number of metric tons that you get. So if, I, if I'm a business, this is a way for me to sort of compensate for impacts that, that I'm making. What about on the other end of that then? So you said the money goes toward a project that is going to accomplish that. What's an example of a kind of project that this might help fund? Yeah, there are literally hundreds of project methodologies out there. Some of the most common ones are ones that people, that's a little easier for people to get their brain around is things like forestry. So sustainable forestry is a really important way to continue to sequester carbon. That would be something that would be considered a nature-based project. There's a really important grasslands in this country that are at very high risk of being converted to agricultural use. So that would be another project type called avoided grasslands, where you don't convert those grasslands 
and keep them and their ability to build and sequester carbon in the soil. There's more technological programs like renewable energy. So that would be solar and wind farms. There's some really not so sexy ones that are very effective, but you know, like nitrous oxide abatement. People are like, oh, wow, that's really cool, but very effective. And that would, you know, maybe be in an industrial setting where you're bringing down the nitrous oxide emissions. There's some cool new ones coming out, like electric vehicles. Some of the more interesting projects, I would say, are uh, these kind of collaborative projects where you aggregate a lot of emissions from several smaller projects or campuses. So the EV one I was talking about, the electric vehicle, would be multiple either school or business campuses installing electric vehicle charging, and then the emissions reduced would be aggregated from all the different campuses. Landfill gas sequestration is a big one. Composting, as I said, there are literally hundreds of projects out there and they all have the, a different appeal for different types of businesses and organizations that want to invest in those projects. Okay, so, so as uh, somebody is interested in buying an offset, then when I sit down with you and we talk about how this is going to work, do I get to sort of like pick and choose from a list of, of projects that I particularly want to support or is it just one big bucket? Yeah, we literally have a menu. <laughs> you get to sit down. It's got pictures and pricing, just like you would order off of a menu. We do have general offset buckets. If you just want to buy general offsets, you can go on our website anytime and just buy an offset or buy 100 offsets, whatever you want to do, and that will go to a general bucket. But if you want to work with us more uh, in depth and want to be more thoughtful about your project that you're supporting, um, we'll offer you the menu and you can choose what you like. So the Pennsylvania Environmental Council has been working with you for a project that we're involved in. We're a sustainability partner in the Great Allegheny Passage Relay. I'm, I'm curious about your experience in helping us through this process. Do you deal with a lot of kind of distance running events or endurance sports like this? Yeah, um, I haven't seen a ton of it. I've worked with a couple of marathons, but they... I don't know if they're making the carbon neutral claim. I think they're just doing some offsetting, but I do work with a lot of really cool different types of events. I mean, yacht races, car races, a lot of sporting events, basketball, football, the NHL, you know, uh, the NBA. So we work with a lot of fun events and of course conferences and, and even just work meetings sometimes. But in terms of unusual things, one project that we did work on in partnership with the North Face and the Protect Our Winters nonprofit is we did put together something called an expedition calculator. So for people doing really extreme expeditions that involves like helicopters and private jets to get them to mountaintops, um, there is a calculator online on the Protect Our Winters website that you can calculate your footprint for an extreme expedition. So everybody's getting really creative about this, and it's been really fun to see who's jumping in to um, offset their footprint from these interesting events. You know, so many of these events that you, the examples you just mentioned, these are traditionally in-person gatherings, right? Obviously, we're not doing that so much right now. Our relay race has gone virtual. A lot of other events are, are now being held in some virtual format or another. I'm wondering how that's affecting your work. Does that make it a little more complicated? Uh, yeah, it's definitely affecting the number of events that are considering offsetting their footprint in this way. At the same time, there's actually a lot of people that are really doubling down on their efforts. 
Pennsylvania Environmental Council being one of them. You guys took your event virtual and you're actually offsetting more carbon this year. The participation went through the roof from what I can see. And you guys are going to offset as if it was a real event. So that kind of commitment is really wonderful. And we're seeing that across the board for all kinds of events and and businesses and all kinds of entities are, are still going forward with their sustainability commitments. So that's been extremely hopeful. Pennsylvania Environmental Council was really interested in working with you guys and with P3R on this project because uh, climate is really important to to what we do. It is a big part of our program and our policy work. You guys are an environmental nonprofit just like us. You do something a little bit different, but offsets are one powerful tool among many. What else needs to happen and where does the work you do fit into that bigger picture? Sure. So you're right. Offsets are just one tool and they're a very valuable tool. And Over the past several years, building that offset marketplace has funded thousands of projects. So you can't deny that there's been good work that has come out of offsets. Uh, However, there's so much more that needs to happen. Um, Obviously, there needs to be policy in place that will support um, the reduction of greenhouse gases. So that's a huge piece. You know, there's the personal responsibilities that we all make with our choices every day. Again, thinking about the the power of collective impact. If we all rethink and educate ourselves on what's making the biggest impact in climate, you know, making choices about how we travel, how we eat. Um, But also from a business perspective, business is in such a great position to innovate and be entrepreneurial about this. There's a lot of opportunities out there. The carbon offset marketplace isn't the only marketplace that can have change and create change in um, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. I go to conferences, well, I used to, (laughs) now they're virtual, but a lot of the conferences I went to, I got to watch these pitch contests where these young, amazing entrepreneurs get on stage and pitch these amazing ideas to reduce energy, to capture carbon. And the technologies behind those are just brilliant. So business, I think, can play and has been and will continue to play a huge role. And even just our our role as as a small environmental nonprofit selling carbon offsets, that role is not going to go away, but it's going to be joined by hopefully thousands of others that are going to create space for these new technologies and new ways of thinking about how we do business. I will give a small example of something new that we're doing, and that is collaborating with some new tech platforms. Maybe five or six years ago, someone might have had the idea, oh, why don't we make an app for somebody to offset their carbon? And people are like, yeah, we're a nonprofit. We're not a tech firm. Nobody's going to do this. And so what's great is now they're coming to us, these tech and, um, you know, I probably don't use the right right technical terms, but these really smart tech people (laughs) are coming to us with their platforms and wanting to collaborate with us. So they have that know-how and knowledge and they're building the platforms and we're still able to provide the high quality carbon offsets to fulfill what they're able to raise towards them. So it's just really cool to see how many different options there are out there to uh, combat climate change. And we just need to give everything a chance. (laughs) It's not just one silver bullet out there. 
looking at all of the options in an even broader sense, because we've been talking exclusively about climate here, but going back to the very beginning of this conversation, you mentioned uh, water restoration credits. I, I believe that's part of the package of uh, environmental products that we purchased through you. Can you explain what water restoration credits are and uh, you know how they apply in this case? Yeah, so they're very similar to carbon offsets. Several years ago, as BEF has been um, working in the water restoration space since the beginning, and working very deeply in corporate water stewardship, so working with large corporations that have large water footprints who can invest in large water restoration projects, that was a really great way to make change and to affect these you know, depleted watersheds. But we wanted to uh, create something that would answer a few needs that were out there, allowing more people to contribute in the water restoration space, a little more equitable access. So even a small business could balance their footprint. We also wanted to create a certificate that was verified so that there could be a volumetric claim associated. So with a carbon offset, when you purchase a verified, third-party verified tract carbon offset and it gets retired, your business can claim that as going against their footprint. So a water restoration certificate allows businesses then to claim a certain amount of water against their water footprint. And so one water restoration certificate is equal to a thousand gallons of water restored to a critically depleted watershed. And it is third-party verified, tracked, and retired on a registry just like a carbon offset. So that's basically what a water restoration certificate is. And I should also mention thinking about more holistically about water, energy, and carbon and how they're all interrelated. While a water restoration certificate is specifically about water and a carbon offset is specifically about carbon, a lot of these projects have co-benefits and co-benefits are also really important to consider. A water restoration project likely has co-benefits that is helping with climate change. And some of these carbon uh, offsets like forestry and land management and agricultural and grazing, they have water benefits. So it's important to keep that in mind as well. Absolutely. Yeah, PEC does a lot of reforestation work. And for us, it's all part of our watersheds program. But obviously, we're very cognizant of the climate benefits of you know having that much more carbon sink out there. Exactly. So you serve... A lot of large corporations, large organizations. This is not like a retail operation exactly, but is there such a thing as a as a consumer offset that I can can I go to your website and like get a gift card for somebody's birthday or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we do have um, a website dedicated for individuals. It's called shrinkyourfoot.org. And you can go there and you actually don't even have to go there. You could just buy them on our website, on the BEF website. But we've created the secondary website just to have another landing place for individuals who maybe went on our website and thought that was only for business. Individuals can buy carbon offsets as well and can buy water restoration certificates as well on our website. Or you can call me and I'll, I'll help you through the process. We don't have a minimum number we work with, as I said, everything from small mom pop shops to large corporations. We wanted to make environmental impact accessible and equitable to all sizes of businesses and individuals. So anyone can go on and buy one offset or a thousand or more. <laughs> well, I would think, you know, regardless of whether or, or how many offsets you, you purchase, it would still be a really good exercise to go through the workbook and, and calculate and get, get a real sense of what your impact is as an individual. Right. 
Well, for a business, the workbook is really helpful. And I would like to say that we are updating our website right now and we'll have new calculators online. So you can do the work online. And then there is also uh, an individual calculator online. So you can actually do the online calculator to calculate your footprint if you like. The workbook is kind of a, a something for businesses that we work with year over year so they can keep their results and kind of compare every year and have like a hard copy for themselves as well. But anyone can go online and use our online calculator as well if you'd like to calculate your footprint that way. And they, there's one specifically for individuals and one specifically for businesses. All right. Well, a lot of great tools out there. We will be sure to link to all of them in the post that uh, goes up with this episode. I have one other question I want to ask just because I'm curious. Is there a danger of adopting a mindset where, you know, I can just cut a check and get myself off the hook for this. Do you think about that in the work that you do? Absolutely. We are an environmental organization. Our mission is to create change and impact around climate change and several other areas of environmental concern. So we, are, we definitely don't have blinders on. Carbon offsets, as I said, are just one tool. So when I'm working with businesses, I am encouraging them and asking them the questions of what else can you be doing? We don't want people to buy their way out of environmental debt by purchasing carbon offsets. That said, at the end of the day, there is always an unavoidable footprint. There's always something. I mean, even just as human beings, unless you walk into a forest and disintegrate, and that probably still off-gasses something, <laughs> we all have things, use things, drive things, travel places, eat things, eating, even if you did nothing and you just ate to survive, there's a carbon footprint associated with that. So offsets are really the tool for that, what we call the unavoidable footprint that's left at the, at the end of all the other things you can do to reduce your footprint as much as you can. Heather, thank you so much. I really appreciate your sharing your, your knowledge and uh, talking with me today. Well, thank you. It's been great chatting with you. We hope you've enjoyed learning a bit more about how businesses, large and small, for-profit and non-profit, can offset their carbon footprints with relatively little effort and expense. As a postscript to this conversation, you might be interested to know that since we began working with P3R on the Gap Relay, Peck has also taken steps to counterbalance the impacts from our own operations across the state all year long. You can learn about what that looked like and why you might want to consider something similar for your organization or your household on the Peck website. That's at PECPA.org. It's also the place where you can stream all 125 past episodes of Pennsylvania Legacies all in one convenient location. Or if you prefer, you can always subscribe in your podcatcher of choice to have each new episode delivered directly to your phone or tablet whenever it comes out. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And, of course, available via RSS on most other podcast apps. You can stay connected with Peck on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at P-E-C-P-A. We'll have more Pennsylvania Legacies conversations coming up in a couple of weeks. Hope you'll join us for the next one. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.